Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. And we've got a lot to get to tonight. Some NFL news, nothing earth shattering, some AFC South talk. Johnny's going to reveal who the next Brock Purdy might be because why not? It's draft season and we've got a long way to go before the draft, but we have the combine next week. We will be there. Special guest to start us out. Usually we have John McClain on a Thursday. He's at spring training, could not join us tonight, but we went for a Texans veteran, a legend, a man who is seen at NRG Stadium on the field each and every game day week. Won't you please welcome Cecil Shorts the third played wide out for this team in 2015, former Jacksonville Jaguar. And Cecil, we have a lot to get to tonight, but how are you doing? How's the family? How's the job? Great to have you on. <laughs> oh, it's always good to talk to y'all. Um, everything is well. Busy as always. I feel like I'm a professional Uber driver. So I'm driving <laughs> to one practice, to another practice, to pick up from school, to, to all types of stuff. Um, but everybody's good, healthy, doing well, active in activities and sports. So it's fun. Cecil, my wife uh, has been living in two years in L.A., and that's what she's been doing for my daughter still, and she's uh, about to turn 21. So uh, if there's anybody that can understand professional Uber driver, I think it's uh, it's me and my wife, Paige Harris, for sure. Cecil, I want to I go here first. Nick Sirianni gets this Super Bowl as the second-year head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Casario went to John Carroll, Sirianni. I actually saw his last game, uh, a loss to the uh, St. John's Johnnies in the 2003 NCAA Division III championship. I ask you this, what the heck is it about Mount Union, John Carroll, that area that's produced so many players and coaches? You played at Mount Union. What is it about that particular place and that area that has produced so many NFL entities in the personnel world? You know what? I think it starts with one person. Uh, for us, it was Larry Karras, uh, the head coach at University of Mount Union for numerous years. He is a college football Hall of Famer. I think 25 years, 25 losses, uh, over, I think, over 10 national championships, something crazy. But for Mount Union, it's him. He literally knows the game like the back of his hand, and he makes it seem so simple. Um, so for Sirianni and other guys that are in the league, whether coaching, or happen to dabble in the league from playing, um, we all learn from Larry Karras, man. Like, he he's, he set the stage for us. Um, if you listen to Nick Sirianni's interviews, especially his weekly interviews, he talks about Larry Karras probably once a week. Hmm. Like, he's always talking about him being a mentor, what he's learned from him, what he's talked to him about this week. Um, but having that type of uh, impact on all of us is, is a big deal. Like, he uh, is what he brought to the table as far as a father figure, or an uncle type of guy, um, and then what he knows about football. Like, it, it's just he put us in the best position to succeed as players, and then for those that followed that coaching realm, he took us under his wing, and then for those guys, once they learned from Larry, he, they were able to go to Division One and go to other places, and it, it kind of just it kind of just carried. Um, for as far as John Carroll, you look at London Fletcher, you look at uh, Casario, you look at Shula. Uh, once they get those, it seems like once they get their foot in the in the door, I mean, you can even look at Frank Ross, right? Once yeah. they get their foot in the door, then they bring others on, like, hey, we can do this. And it's like a we believe in each other type of thing. Oh, mm. he get it. Okay, you know what? Maybe I go out there and chase it. And um, you see the grind. You see the work ethic. You just understand what it takes um, just seeing those guys before you. So um, it, I don't know if it's the area, but it's definitely people that, you know, were put in place that kind of gave back to us and gave us that hope and uh, kind of guide us throughout the way. 
Cecil Shorts the third joining us on Texans Radio. Cecil coming out of Mountain Union, drafted in the fourth round. I want to get into this because Johnny and I are going to the combine. Here we are. It's draft season. And refresh our memories as to what it was like for you in that pre-draft process, getting ready for the big weekend and where you thought you might go, what round, that kind of thing. Well, Mark, I'll be honest with you. Like, at D3 football, you play – you may have a night game or two, right, homecoming or something. But most of the time, you play in the afternoon. So I was watching all the college football that evening after our game, right? So I grew up in college watching Cam Newton and watching Julio Jones and A.J. Green and uh, whoever else was coming out at that time and then get to the combine, and I'm in the same group as these guys, and Cam Newton's throwing me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was surreal because you look at these guys on TV almost like, you know, they're professionals. And then for me to get a chance to be there, it was like, wow, I'm really here. And um, it, it, was a, it was an awesome feeling. Like, I went from running up against guys that were scared to cover me in Division Three on Saturdays to running in front of Jerry Jones and <laughs> everybody else in the 40 with, uh, you know, the tight stuff on. So that, that was a surreal process. Um, I met with about four or five teams at the Combine. Um, and, you know, you get hounded in this one room. I forgot what the name of the room was, where it's just tons of scouts and position coaches. And they all just come at you. And um, I thought I was going to go to either Baltimore, the Cowboys, or the Redskins. Um, I thought one of those three were going to be – they were heavy on me at the Combine. They were uh, very active when it comes to conversation after the Combine. Took a visit to the Cowboys. Um, met with Jerry in person. I, I just knew uh, I was going to be one of those Ravens, Redskins, or or I forgot the other one I said, uh, Cowboys. But Jacksonville loved me from the whole time. So they, they called me uh, on draft day. I was surprised. And I'm like, I didn't know you guys were interested in me. Well, we thought you were the best, one of the best receivers at the East-West Shrine game. We just wanted to keep it under wraps. I'm like, well, y'all did a good job. I, was, <laughs> I wouldn't even think about Jacksonville. Along those lines, Cecil, I mean, there's so many smoke screens and there's so many things that, that go on. Of course, I, I guess we've nicknamed it lying season. And right. Jacksonville – doesn't let on to you at all that they were interested yet they were extremely interested i mean did you i mean you had no inkling at all wondering why jacksonville was calling you well i met with them at the east west shrine game and i met with them at the combine but they like had a poker face yeah where the other teams like the position coach for the redskins is like hey we really want you it's between you and this guy talking to uh jerry is like yeah we're gonna draft the receiver either first round or fourth round you know what i mean so it's gonna be either or uh, talking to Baltimore, like it, they made them, they made it known. You know what I mean? They made it known what they were going to do. They were talking to my agent. Jacksonville was just quiet, so I met with them twice, but I ain't hear from them at all after the combine. So I wouldn't even think about it. So I, I was surprised when they called, and um, I was excited, of course, right? D three guy getting drafted fourth round. I think at that time was one of the highest ever. So I'm like, cool. But I, I had no clue Jacksonville was interested like that. Just met with him twice, and that was that was kind of it. Cecil Shorts joining us on Texans Radio. And Cecil, what would you advise young players to do right now? Getting ready for the draft, getting ready to be observed, poked, prodded, measured, whatever they go through before they get selected. What advice would you give the young guys of today? Be yourself. Be yourself. I think the biggest thing I learned this game is about relationships. Right. So don't try to go in there and be a picture perfect guy. Just be yourself. Communicate with the with the coaches, with the with the scouts. Um, 
make them fall in love with you with who you are. Because that, that's who they'll see on an everyday basis, whether they draft you or you're undrafted or if you're in their building, right? So just be yourself. Go in there, perform your best, take it serious, be a professional. I think that's huge. I think that's one of the biggest things is learning how to be professional, but be a professional. Shake hands, look them in the eye. Nothing wrong with laughing and joking, but show them that you know how to carry yourself. Show them you know how to uh, potentially be a really good asset to that organization. I mean, you can do that, I think you put yourself in a really good position. Of course, you got to perform when it comes to the combine and stuff, right? But some of that stuff's out of your control. You can't control your height. You can't control, <laughs> you, can't control you know, uh, if you, you're either born with 4'3 or you're not. You know what I mean? So um, showing yourself as far as being professional, um, letting them get to know you. And then when you're on that field, I would say compete, man. Like, go balls to the wall. Like, you got to compete. Like, that, that was the biggest thing for me. I love to compete. So when I was out there, yeah, I'm like, oh, wow, that's Julio, that's AJ. I'm like, all right, let me go show I belong. <laughs> like, let, let me go show I, I can run routes. I can catch the ball. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't care who's throwing the ball. I'm going to go get it. Um, just go out there and compete and enjoy it. It's not – it's only, what, 200 some odd people that get invited to the combine. So enjoy that process. Um, you're on national TV. Everybody's watching. It's a huge fan show now. You get tons of free gear. And that, that might be the most important thing. You get all that free gear. But <laughs> – but just, just really enjoy that process with it's special. You sound like me, Cecil, man. I do it for the free gear, man. Uh, Cecil, <laughs> let's look at this receiver core that's here with the Texans right now. And people have been talking about the Texans needing offensive help, and they maybe need it in the receiver category. And we don't know what happens with Brandon Cooks. I mean, I think that's been talked about ad nauseum. So we don't really know what happens with Brandon. But we know Nico's coming back. We hope that John Mechie will be ready to go. But when you look at this receiver core, knowing the position the way that you do, Cecil, what would you like to see the Texans do this offseason at that particular position? And maybe it's not a particular player, but just a style of player that you would like to see the Texans add at that particular position. I think you need an explosive playmaker. I think you need a guy that can take the top off down the field. Um, and one thing I'm learning as, I, as the game is evolving um, it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? I think we get so attached to dimensions in this time of year, right? Mm -hmm. He has to run a 4-3. He has to be 6-3. He has to be 220. No. Let's watch the tape. Can he take the top off? Can he run good routes? Can he get open? Is there separation on film? Can he get off the press? Uh, I'm looking at the Eagles, and they got Donovan Smith, uh, Devontae Smith, who's probably 135 pounds <laughs> soaking what it looks yep. like, right? Yep. But he gets open. My gosh, he gets open. He can run. He creates separation. He can make the tough catch. Um, he, he tries to drop his shoulder every, every once in a while. Like, I love that kid. So, to me, I think you need a, a, a guy that's going to be able to, uh, on film, and I'm, I'm big on film. On film, he can run by you. On film, he has a total package, right? Not just on combine day. Not just on, you know, trying to find a gym. No, find a guy that's legitimately – on film, a big-time playmaker down the field, but also can run routes. Now, I think I sound like you're looking for the perfect guy, but I think there's guys in this draft. One guy in particular for me I love out of USC. Um, what's his name? Last name Addison was at the University Jordan of Pitt a little bit. Yeah, Jordan yes, Addison. I absolutely love him, right? Um, and I'm to me, it's about can you get open? You've got to be able to create separation against the Jalen Ramsey, against yep. the Marlon Humphrey. You know what I mean? So finding a guy that can do that consistently, I, I think it will be really good. Cecil Shorts joining us on Texans Radio. Cecil, when you were drafted, Blaine Gabbert was drafted as well. And here we are with the Houston Texans, and they've got a couple of high picks, and 
the Jags took you in the fourth round. It's very conceivable that the Texans could take a quarterback high and a receiver in the fourth round. Who knows? Similar situation. But what was that like early on? And I don't want to pinpoint things that Blaine did or did not do, but having a young quarterback where the expectations are so high, and you're a rookie trying to make it on your own, but you were in that situation, and it ultimately did not pan out for Blaine in Jacksonville the way they wanted. He's still in the league, though, so he's made a nice living. But your thoughts on the early going with all those expectations in Jacksonville? Man, it's it's tough for a quarterback. And the crazy part about Blaine he was drafted and told, because that was the lockout year in 2011, he was told that he was not going to play that year, that he was going to have a redshirt year, right? Mm. Now, so mentally, he was like, okay, cool. You know, I get to learn the playbook, and we can build the team, and he ended up being started like week three. Um, so I think when it comes to possibility of drafting a guy, you got to make sure your team is, is, is as good as possible, right? I, I'm not a fan of completely rebuilding in your team and drafting the quarterback to a young team that's that team is not really you can't take care of the guy right mm -hmm. one thing i love about the texans you got some tackles that can block their behind off and you got a running game you got a running back you got a back that can tote the ball and that's proven he can tote the ball last year and you got an offensive line that can do it um so i think that's a good situation for a quarterback to come into right whether it's in jacksonville i think blaine wasn't set up for success and I think that's one of the biggest things you have to do for a young quarterback. It's already hard enough to play quarterback in this league. But for a young guy, you have to have him set up for success the best you can, right? Um, and, and, and really tap into his strengths and then whatever he's not as strong as, as strong in, excuse me, some growth areas. Okay, we can work on that throughout the year. But what is he good at? Okay, let's make sure we surround him with some decent offensive linemen that can protect him. Because there was times, and I love Blaine um, because – his story is awesome. He struggled early on, but to be able to stay on and stay in the league, <laughs> that's, that's a huge success to him. He's come on and won some games for the Titans and some other teams uh, uh, throughout his career. So I'm, I'm proud of him, um, but he wasn't set up for success. So for a guy to come in here, I think it's a much better setup. Uh, I'm excited. I'm coming, maybe I'm off topic, but I'm excited for the Texans, man. You got a, 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 one of the top head coaches uh, coming into this in, in this realm. Um, and you have some talent here. You're not that far off. So to, for a quarterback possibly to come in and to be and to be around Laramie Tunsil, to be Titus Howard, to have that back, it's it's a it's a good place to be. See, so I want to go to that point you just mentioned. In fact, I was thinking of that question, then you brought it up, and I want you to expand on it if you don't mind. And that's uh, D'Amico Ryan's taking over uh, as the head coach. It's sort of a two-part question. Number one, just overall your thoughts. Number two, as a former player. If you're in a locker room, did it matter to you or does it matter to you to have a former NFL player as not only your head coach, your coordinator, your position coach? Did that matter to you or did it not? And how does that, you think, play in with D'Amico being a head coach for the first time? Well, number one, I'm excited. I'm excited for D'Amico. I think he uh, uh, did his fair doing uh, with the 49ers. Like, he's a proven commodity. Um, he was, I think, probably the hottest name in the coaching search so i think that alone gets the fans excited it gets the players excited like that alone because the the reputation he built for himself not only as a player but the last few years as a as a dc and he worked his way up he didn't start off as a dc you know he kind of worked his way up from a position coach on up so um for him i'm excited i'm excited for this for this uh to this be a fresh start you know what i mean like it's, yeah. it's gonna be huge now second part you asked about um, 
Does it matter if you're a player? Does it matter? I think when I was playing, we didn't see this too often. A younger head coach who was a former player. I don't remember that happening too often or it being that big of a deal. Now I did get hit in the head a few times, so I could, I could, <laughs> you know, not have the best memory. Yeah. <laughs> but as a coach, I don't think, I mean, as a player, I don't think it, it matters, but it definitely helps. And mm. the, for D'Amico was a darn good one too. You know what I mean? So it's just not just like a, oh, he played and then, you know, he kind of moved his way up because, you know, his, his name. No, he was a darn good player. And now he's a darn good coach. And it's proven because you've seen what the 49ers defense has done. And you see what players he's groomed as he was a part of uh, the 49ers defense, whether it was Fred Warner or whoever else, right? You see the type of influence he had on those guys. Just watch the game, right? So if I'm a player and I'm watching them in the playoffs, he's hugging the players. The players are excited to come to him. He's high-fiving the guys after a big play. Everybody's they, they get the interception, they're running back to the sideline, and he's the first one congratulating them. Or, they, or he runs, or the players run to him. That's a big deal. That's that's showing me that number one, he has a relationship with them. Number two, he's having fun and the players are having a good time. Number three, they're expecting to go out there and play well. Like he he's he's acknowledging, hey, you're playing well. Great job. Let's continue this, right? So if I'm a player, I'm excited to play for him. Like I, I think this is a really, really big deal. Um, so yes. I mean, to answer your question, no, I don't think it matters. But in today's society, maybe it does a little more, honestly. Cecil Shorts joining us on Texans Radio. Cecil, I know you do the in-stadium announcing now. We'll get to that in a moment. But I'm old enough to remember when you played here. 2015, you joined the Texans, and it's a very weird year. Hard knocks. Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer. Savage gets hurt in the preseason. Quarterback parade, including but not limited to TJ Yates and Brandon Whedon. What was that like, the team starting off two and five? What were you thinking? What did I get myself into? Yet you guys showed that, hey, you're never out of it if you start playing well and go on a run. Yeah, man, that was uh, – we were when we started off two and five, we kind of – it was a matter of putting the right pieces together and getting the right things going. So we kind of put our head down, and uh, I think Coach O'Brien at the time did a good job of, of helping us stay together and keeping us united, and we made a run towards the end of the year making the playoffs. Um, but that was that was a weird year, <laughs> having hard knocks <laughs> and then kind of flip-flopping quarterbacks and um, trying to figure out who we are as the offense. You kind of knew who we were as a defense, but trying to figure out who we are as the offense and, you know, Arian batted, or Mr. Foster battling some injuries here and there. So um, it was a it was a crazy year, but we ended up turning that thing around. So it's definitely something I'll never forget. Uh, it was a lot of fun that year being able to make the playoffs. That was my first year making the playoffs. Um, so that was my only year making the playoffs, actually. So that was, that was like a special place in my heart. Cecil, I know that your head coach at the time didn't care for hard knocks. How did the players feel about doing hard knocks that summer? We actually thought it was fun. Like, we didn't mind it. Like, they, they weren't in the way. Um, they, you know, chose to follow us certain players and follow us different places, which made it fun. As a player, you watch it. For me, I watched it. So I I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, just to be on HBO and and, and have that experience. And um, to be honest, like everybody that worked for HBO, they were extremely nice. They were extremely uh, caring. They were asked before they will follow you. They will ask, make sure it's okay. They would communicate with the PR department. They, they just did a really good job of making sure uh, they take care of you, that you're okay, and then that they spread it, spread like, spread like a good light on what's going on. You know what I mean? So I thought it was a just a really, really, really good, fun experience. Cecil, what are you doing now with Second Baptist? What can you tell us about uh, what your life is like every day professionally? And then we'll get into the stadium stuff. Um, so I'm a dean of students at Second Baptist Middle School. Uh, 
Basically, I'm in charge of all discipline, right? So, mm. <laughs> it's, uh, you're it's Troy fun, Vincent, but... man. You're Troy Vincent. <laughs> so it's fun, um, but it's hard at the same time. You know what I mean? But it's cool because I coach a lot of middle school sports. So I'm coaching middle school softball right now. Do not ask me my record, but we're improving. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> middle school football, high school football. I helped out last couple, last three years. I helped out. That was a lot of fun. Um, so just staying active, and for me, I'm I, I just enjoy kids. Um, I got seven of them myself. So. <laughs> but as far as the middle school sports, like, and me being a disciplinarian, that's how I build relationship with the kids through coaching, right? So they mm-hmm. know I'm coming from a place of love when I do have to discipline them. That's one of the reasons I coach softball. Yeah, my youngest daughter wants to play softball, so she's in coach pitch right now. But for me to truly make an impact on these kids and girls as well, let me coach a sport that strictly girls get to know them. So now... I'm building a relationship. I'm a good mentor to them. But also, if I need to correct them or guide them or say, hey, I need you to do this next time, they can take it from a place of love and they understand, okay, Coach George really cares about me. And the same thing with the guys. But the guys, a little more easier with football and basketball and stuff. But um, that's that's kind of a nutshell what I, what I do outside of the in-game stuff. That, I'm telling you right now, there was one person on my campus when I was coaching that I made sure I had a good relationship with. The dean of students. The dean of students. Okay. Cecil, when I see you next, I'll tell you some of the stories about this joker. I mean, he was crafty. He he was pretty crafty. I mean, there were times he would climb to the roof of the school and watch kids leave and take down their license plates. And put them in ISS. Yeah, he was... He was uh, yeah, he was a different kind. There's no doubt about that. But the people that listen, Cecil, they get to see you uh, when you're doing work on a Sunday here in the stadium. And I got to say, man, you, you get the place electric. How have you really grown in that role? And, and how do you enjoy what you get a chance to do on Sundays here at the stadium? You know what? When I first talked about the role, I was terrified. Um, <laughs> not terrified. That's the wrong adjective. I was nervous. I'm like, no, nah, I don't, I don't know about this. Um, but as time went on, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. But as time went on, I love it. It's a chance to be close to the field, right? Close to the players. I get to interact with the fans. I'm like still in the community. Cause a lot of stuff I do on the field is with season ticket members or with uh, somebody from the military or with a you know special needs kid, whatever the case may be, right? It's, so it's still connected to the community, used to connect it to the teams, to connect it to the players. I absolutely love it. And now I've grown a lot more comfortable where I'm just having fun. Like, so the Waterburger Challenge, I'm going to hype it up. I'm going to try to get the fans involved. Before we go out there, I try to, <laughs> to get the little competitive juices going between the two teams. I just try to have fun fun with it because I view it as a game show. Like, this is an opportunity to go out there and just, like, have my own little game show. And it's just fun. Like, it's literally a chance for me to still be involved with the team. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And it's only going to get better. Like, as the team gets better, more more people are in the seats. They get more excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, more drinks probably be flowing. And it's <laughs> going to be a great time in the building. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so – Back to the middle school coaching thing. Do you call plays for the middle school team? I know you you assist with the high school team. Are you the play right. caller for the middle school football team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I call plays. How has that yeah, affected yeah. how you look at what coaches do, if at all? I know you played the game at the highest level, yet here you are calling plays, and I know the pressure's on, man. All the parents are there. You want to win. You want to do oh, yeah. well. What is that like? <laughs> 
uh, I have the utmost respect for a play caller. <laughs> it's, it's something that is something that's very hard to do. And because um, it's easy as a player, as far as if you just worry about yourself. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you got to worry about 11 other guys, 12 and 13, or if you get in high school, 14 through 18, to do their job and do it consistently and do it well, do what you're teaching them to do and understand what's going on. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm, I, I'll get mad. I'm like, these kids are young. They don't, they don't know yeah. no better, right? Um, but it definitely gives me an appreciation for um, coaches at all levels, um, play callers. Um, it, it's, you know, at middle school, you don't really prep and watch film because you don't, you don't exchange film. High school, you do. But I couldn't imagine watching, you know, the Sean McVeighs and the other guys, how much film they put in to prepare. Mm. Um, and then you, you're going out there and you're calling the plays and you're trying to get people, certain people the ball and certain touches. It's so intentional as a play caller. Like this, I'm calling this play for this particular player. So if they don't throw that ball to that player or we don't run it correctly, you're all upset because that this is supposed to work and this is how it's supposed to look. Um, so, yeah, I got I got tremendous respect, man. It's not an easy thing. I actually called plays for the offense last year, and um, it wasn't easy. And you got parents calling you and emailing you and say, hey, how about this? How about that? And some of them, some of them have some legit stuff. <laughs> oh, see, so, same, oh, I, I am. At the same time, it's like, wait a second, leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. It's funny, Cecil. I'm just like seeing my whole career in your eyes. I think the one thing that I found out, Cecil, when I I came right out of college, and I went down, and they were like, "You're the head junior high football coach." I'm 22. I'd been out of college for three three months, and I'm like, "Okay, I know the game. I know this. I know that." What I didn't realize was what they didn't know. The very first yeah. game we played, I had an eighth grader, and he was the biggest kid I had, and there was a false start, so the referee took the ball and he moved it back five yards. I just figured everybody knew you moved up with the ball. He went and lined up in his original spots five yards back. And I'm yelling at my <laughs> linebacker, like, move him, move him. And I call, I, the play went on, and he's five yards beyond the ball. And he's, a, he's the three technique. I called him over. I said, John, I said, you do realize on a penalty you're supposed to go with the ball. Like, you're the closest to the ball. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, when you coach middle school football, you have no idea what they don't know. And it's kind of interesting to see the light go on when they do find out something. It's actually kind of cool when you have that moment where they're like, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool. And you coach them to do that. That's always fun. You know what? That that moment you talked about when it, when it clicks for them, that's a satisfying feeling as a coach. Because they, they understand now, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And they go out there and do it well. Like it's a different feeling as a player, and then as a mm. coach, it's like, wow, yes, you get it. Now let's do it again and again and again. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely pretty good. Cecil, that's all the time we have for today. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for being a part of the program, as always. Oh, no problem, fellas. Always, man. Uh, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Have a good one. All right. Can't wait to see you again. Love you, too. All right. Coming up, more likely to happen on Texans Radio. It involves offense or defense in the draft. AFC South opponents. Even hard knocks comes into play. We just talked about that with Cecil. It's Texans Radio. All right. It's Texans Radio. As we said, no John McClain tonight. We had Cecil Shorts the third on. That was great. That'll be podcasted later. This Odyssey app, by the way, is awesome. All your friends oh. from Sports Radio 610 are on the app. They've really improved the app. They the have way. improved the app so much. They yeah. have made the user experience Ooh, so, so much, much so easier. So much better. Mark. And you know what? So much easier. You know what's well, interesting? If you're delayed and you're listening uh, lag, <laughs> right, and they go into a break, you don't hear the whole commercial. Break. No, that's right. Sorry, advertisers. So have I, have I told you this one? So I was listening. Listening on the Odyssey app, 
And I'll do this from time to time. Oh, and you text Sean and, and you I, realize it was I an hour ago? No, it was, it was Landry and John. Oh, okay. And I sent them a text, and they're like, what? And then I realized, oh, man, that was, I'm sorry. I'm listening. That was yesterday. I was like two hours behind you guys. Oh, so yeah. that's happened a few times uh, doing that way. But I, I love the app. I mean, every, I'll say this live. I told this, to you, told this yesterday. Every time I get in the car, no matter what time I get in the car, if it's post-1220, I go find the Odyssey app and I listen to Lunchtime Confessions. Every day. Great bit. Every day. It can be not I can leave here at nine o'clock at night. It'll be the first thing I go back to and listen twelve twenty every day. Lunchtime confessions, boys. Good job with that segment. I think Figgy sort of invited me on his podcast uh through Twitter. I know. I beat you to it, but it's okay. Oh, you're gonna be on? No, I did it a couple weeks ago. I think they wanted me on because maybe he's a Deuce Vaughn fan and I brought it up last night. It happened around them, but I didn't check Twitter right away. Anyway, let's do this. It's more likely to happen, and we've got a few of these. And one of them I might have done before, but we'll do it again, believe more me. More likely to happen. All right, Johnny, more likely to happen. Offense or defense for the Texans, top of the second round. Offense Ooh, or defense? second round. I'm not going to narrow it down to position groups because we don't really know what they're going to do, particularly at 12. You know, you think you might know it, too. Yeah, quarterback, but who knows? Maybe they don't. Maybe they wait. Who knows how they handle this? Here's how I, would, I wouldn't mind it because mm -hmm. I quarterback at two because I think you have options of really good quarterbacks at two. So quarterback at two. I think 12 ends up being a spot where you might be able to snatch up one of the edge rushers. I think I don't think Tyree Wilson gets there. I don't think Will Anderson gets there. But I have Keon White in my mock draft uh, going to the Texans there. I think that would be a great one. Miles Murphy from Clemson could fall. Mm. Um, I love him. He would be a – he would be a – that would be a home run at number 12. But if they end up having a number of those, those defensive ends available, you know, Lucas Van Ness is another one. My gosh, uh, I was so mad because Dean Brewer stole my player comp. I was trying to find a player comp for Lucas Van Ness, and then he tweeted, I found it, and he posted the the uh, the trailer for Cocaine Bear. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's Lucas funny. Van Ness. That's how he plays. So I think there's an opportunity there at 12 to come up with one of those edge rushers that have got – I mean, you're talking 275 and higher – Edge rushers with big some athleticism. Yeah, so you're talking some big dudes. So that's where I think they go at 12. I think whether you call it pick 33 or 34, it's the second pick of the second round. I think they go back offense. I think they go back to offense at that point because I think that's a nice, I think that's a nice spot for a number of the receivers that could be on the board. You could have one or two of them that you didn't expect to fall, fall to you there. I think that Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison both go in the first round. Who knows what happens with Jalen Hyatt? The speedster from Tennessee. Who knows what happens with Jackson Smith and Jigba? And along those lines, in my mock, I actually traded back into the first round because there was a linebacker there that I really like from Arkansas, Drew Sanders. But I think there's going to be a sweet spot for a couple of tight ends. Darnell Washington, Georgia could be there. The receivers I mentioned. You could even have kind of multi-use running back threats. Where does Jameer Gibbs go from Alabama? You ended up with the next Jamal Charles. Could you take that at 33 or 34? Yes. Yes. So I think there's going to be some offensive players that end up there uh, at the top of the second round. So that's where I'm going to go. I think running back is the least likely position in the first two, maybe three rounds. If I had to vote least likely position. But that's another segment for another day, and I'll explain why later as well. Let's get to the next one here. More likely, more to, happen. Likely, to, happen. More likely to happen. All right, more likely to have a better season. 
I might have asked you this last week, but I don't care. We're going to go with it every week, especially as things develop, and things did develop this week for a team that resides in Nashville, Tennessee, mm. called the Tennessee Titans, yes. as they got rid of some players. More likely to have a better year. The Titans or the Colts, Johnny? Who's going to have the better season out of those two? Colts. Ooh. And here's why I say that. I think if anything happens to Derrick Henry during the season, and I, I'll, I'll say that I've said this for a a million years. I never want to see anybody get hurt. Never. If something did happen to Henry, they've got nothing. Mm. What offensively scares you? Not much, but I want to no. say in 2021, they put together a running game. You know, but they had Deontay Foreman. They, they still had, had Dontrell Hilliard. They? they had A.J. Brown. Okay. And they had Ryan Tannehill, who was still playing at a decent clip. It wasn't great. I don't know what they're going to do with Tannehill. I... I mean, Malik Willis will be there, but they're going to rely on him. We saw what he looked mm. like in a couple of games. Mm. So, hmm. I don't think that if Henry goes down, they've got nothing offensively. Now, Luan's gone. Ben Jones is potentially gone. So, they've got a whole entire reset going on for Tim Kelly and that offense. Complete reset. Robert Woods, Bobby Trees is gone. Now, Burks is going to develop. I think Burks is going to turn into a really good player. That's going to happen, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to get himself in shape. I think the defense with Bayard and Tyre Tart and, of course, Jeffrey Simmons, they got to get a contract worked out for him. They'll get Harold Landry back. The defense will be okay. But the Colts have talent all across the board. Now, the offensive line has got to go to a much higher level. But I think the Colts kind of had their sort of reset year where they hit bottom and now they go back up. I don't know that the Titans have hit complete bottom yet. So I'm thinking the Titans do. And I think the Colts take that step. I don't know who plays quarterback for them. I think it's going to be a young. It's not going to be a great year for the Colts if it's a young quarterback. But they got a lot of talent around that young quarterback. Okay. A lot. So I think the Colts will be fine on both sides of the ball. I don't think the Titans are going to be fine on the offensive side. I'm not counting Henry out. If Henry's there, it gives him a chance. But I still think the Colts will make more progress. Well, you know how the Colts are my most hated team in the history of teams. That's correct. And the Texans did not lose to the Colts this year. 1-0-1, oh, yet after both games, we felt weird at best. They weren't losses. Ty, you felt weird. And the last win, you felt weird because, well, number one pick in the draft or mm -hmm. a victory here right now is just a weird day. All right, let's get to the next more one. More likely to happen. All right, more likely is a most likely here. Most likely team to falter that was in the AFC's Final Four. So you have the Jags, the Chiefs, the Bills, or the Bengals. Who's got the best chance to falter here this year? Hmm. I mean, the Jags I, seem to be on their way up, but you never know. Now, I, the Jags, here's the nasty little secret about the Jags. Yes, we've talked about Trevor Lawrence, and we got all that down, and Trevor's going to make up for a lot, a lot. But when that offense was turning the ball over too much, not doing what it needed to do, that defense saved them. And it saved them with guys like Roy Robertson-Harris, Devon Hamilton. Well, Roy Robertson-Harris is a possibility to be a cap casualty because, as was said on, I think it was on Twitter somewhere, NFL article, the credit card bill came due. Mm. It's coming due. They're over the cap. So they've got to make some decisions about what they're going to do with some of that cap money. And I know the Jaguars, like you said, they're on the way up, and there's some young players that are part of that, in particular the quarterback. But – there are going to be some players that were part of the fabric, a pretty significant part of the fabric, that are going to have to be released. They're going to have to change a contract or change something. 
and that can disrupt things a little bit. That said, I think Trevor makes up for it. So the four quarterbacks you're talking about, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, do you see any of those four falling off? Not too much. No. So I'm going to go with the one that is the last one kind of through the door, kind of last one in, first one out. Let's go with uh, the Jags. Going I backwards. hope you're right. Okay, we've right got too. about 60 seconds for this next one. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. More likely to happen first. Texans get a hard knocks, whether it be in season or preseason, or the Texans play an international game. Ooh. Which is going to happen first? International game, I presume Mexico City again, but you never know. I'm thinking 2024 for both. That's what I was thinking Ooh. for both. I, was, I wasn't thinking about hard knocks, but I was thinking international game 2024. That's what I was thinking for some reason. That would be eight years from when we went to Mexico. It's kind of eight years when we're on the cycle with NFC teams, and it's got to be an even year. Because wait, did I say that right? How many how many home games do we have this no, year? No, this is a nine. This home would have been. I'm year. sorry, twenty five in Mexico. Yeah, where one of the nine would be in Mexico City. You could be visiting yeah, you could an be. NFC team in Mexico City. Mm. You could be playing. Yeah, well, could. they're not going to play the Cardinals next year because they have them this year, and it's part of that yeah, NFC going, weird play schedule. Dallas there, so no, you're not going to play Dallas there. Who's I, that's the what NFC? I'm saying. Twenty five. When we get nine games again, I think we end up going to Mexico City. Who's the NFC division next year? It's uh, uh, NFC South. It's no, no, this year. Oh, the following the year? It's uh, the uh, 21 season NFC division. West, East, South. It'll be the North. North and 24. Okay, so would you play? Yeah, none the of those Chicago teams. Bears. It would be, if you were playing one of those teams, it would be in Europe. It would not be in Mexico. I don't mind. I don't think there are too many Detroit Lions fans in Mexico. I don't mm, know. Probably right. I don't mind. Let's go to Europe. I mean, I the Raiders. Mexico City doesn't matter. I love. I love their international game. I didn't think I would. I did not think I would. Yep. Loved it. Loved it, too. Yes, absolutely. All right, coming up, Johnny's going to give me two candidates to be the next Brock Purdy. So this year, one of these two quarterbacks could be the next Brock Purdy. He'll tell you that next. It's Texans Radio. Final segment here on Texans All Access tonight. Great to have you listening, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris. Johnny, the next Brock Purdy. I teased this, <laughs> and I have no names at the ready, but I know you do. Who could possibly be it? Now, he doesn't have to be Mr. Irrelevant, but he has to be a player drafted in the seventh round or an undrafted free mm. agent. Ooh, at okay. least a very late round yeah, draft yeah. choice. I, I don't think the sixth even counts. Sometimes that's a guy who drops, who's got a big name, but he drops. You know, like a Stetson Bennett. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wanted him. He went in the sixth round, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Give me a Brock Purdy for this year. Well, if you're talking um, round three, round four-ish, a guy kind of off the beaten path, Jake Hayner, foot one ninety five from out of Fresno State. Love Johnny, him. he's going higher. You sold me think, on him. I think he's going to end up in the third is yes. my thought. Um, you know, Max Duggan is out there. Stetson Bennett's out there. Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA is a really intriguing player to me. Okay, strong arm, played wide receiver uh, in high school until he got his final his senior year. He finally got to play quarterback. He had a commitment to UCLA, and he never played quarterback because he had been a receiver. Because the guy had been there, Tate Martell had been the quarterback for a while. So he goes to UCLA, kind of grew up as a quarterback. He's got he's got movement skills like Brock. I think he can end up fitting in an offense like Brock. I think he's going to end up being a day three guy. But a guy way, way off the radar screen, Lindsey Scott Jr. from Incarnate Word and about five other places. Yeah, five other places. Bazoo, LSU, Nickel State. I called a game of his at Nickel State in the uh, spring campaign of 2021. He ended up going to Incarnate Word and set it off this last year. He counted, I think, I can't remember what the number was. 
60 passing touchdowns and 11 rushing. He counted for 71 touchdowns. He's 5'11", 215. He's built like a brick house. Lindsey Scott from Incarnate Word. I like this. He was in college for seven years. I'm looking it up. East Mississippi Community College. Yes. Oh, boy. Mark, he was in college for seven years. (laughs) He's 24 years old. You're going to get all these. He's older than. I. You asked for Brock Purdy. I gave you Brock Purdy. That's it. Lindsey Scott Jr. is Brock Purdy. I mean, East Mississippi Community College sounds like last chance you. It was last chance you. It was last chance. It was la- it was the first last chance you. Oh, that's beautiful. That was the very first one. It was East Community East Mississippi Community College. That was yeah. the very first one. That wasn't his year though. Mm-hmm. But he can run it. He can he, I mean, he can run. He's thick. He can throw it pretty well. That incarnate word offense is kind of air raidish. Yep. You know, it's the air raid. He threw it all over the yard. They had a game against Sacramento State, who's also got one of my sleepers in this draft. Marte Mapu, linebacker slash safety stud. They played at 58-55. In regulation playoff game that was nuts. In the fourth quarter, there were 52 points scored. That's why they need that's to nuts. adjust those college football rules. Lindsey Scott Jr. That's Brock that's, Purdy. It's that's perfect. another one. Mm-hmm. That's another one. And speaking of Purdy, oh, man, the inflammation, surgery <laughs> delayed, obviously delays recovery and his ability to get back on the field. A lot of questions about what the 49ers are going to do at quarterback. They, I bet Garoppolo ends up back there somehow. They can never get it right, and it's not all their fault. It's no. injuries and whatever else, but man, oh, man, do they have some bad luck injury-wise. Thomas Edward Brady for one year. Mm, does he do it? It's got to be tempting to him. One year. Wait a minute. We have not had the press conference yet. No. But he did submit the paperwork. So what? You unretire, right? And he's an unrestricted free agent. Anyway. He is. He's unrestricted. Just take so the paperwork back yeah, and then matter. go to San Francisco. Doesn't One matter. year in your hometown, bro. Do it. Do it, Tom. Do it. I always thought this, and I thought this about last year. I was thinking, where's the press conference? Yeah. Because he was under contract last year, right? Well, he said he didn't want to do it. He did it out on the beach, and now they're selling the sand for like $100,000 that right. he sat in. Just, you feel like there should be a gathering, right? The Hall of Fame is five years away. Shouldn't there be a Brady celebration of sorts? How about this? He doesn't have to start the Fox gig for another year. Yeah. Why does he get a gap year? If I'm Fox, I'm pissed. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm paying thirty million for this. And they're paying him. I think they're paying him for the gap year. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I heard that. I I hope I'm wrong, but I swear to you I heard that. I I wonder what the ROI is gonna be on this. I know that we always say nobody Watches the game. They listen to the game for the announcer, mm-hmm. but they might not watch the game for the announcer, okay? Right. There's a big difference. Radio's important, people. For that amount of money, he's going to have to be all of them. I mean, Romo makes $18 million and he's been mailing it in. He's yeah. been mailing yeah. it in. Yeah. For that yeah. amount of money. <laughs> I know. He better be great, yep. and we'll see. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Tomorrow night, much more coming up as we gear up for the Combine next week. Don't forget next week, Tuesday, we have Nick Casario Wednesday, we have D'Amico Ryans, plus a ton of guests at the Combine next week, Tuesday through Friday. Monday, we're going to have a special program for you on Combine Eve to get ready as well. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans!